3: Back to part two of The Moon Underwater with our guest this week, comedian Maisie Adam. And Maisie has gone crazy for the <laughs> for lager, basically. <laughs> for, for pretty mainstream lager, which we admire here. I like that. We've got Cronenberg and Star Pramen on draft, Mongozo Banana Beer in bottles, and Pickapool de Pinay. But before we pick up all de Pinay, the rest of Maisie's choices.
2: Oh, no john
3: uh we need to we need to finish the moon under water pub quiz a spicy little beast uh, laid down
1: for us by the lovely robin allander robin thanks john so yes it was a quiz all about herbs and spices question one what five spices make up chinese five spice so although there are variants we're using my sainsbury's one here as the control so john do you want to go first Do you want me to give you five and you tell me how many I've got and then Maisie gives five, or do
3: you want to go one by one? Give me your five. Okay. I've gone cinnamon. Okay. Pepper. Yeah. Szechuan pepper,
1: nutmeg, and cloves. Okay.
2: Hmm.
1: Maisie, do you want to do yours?
2: Yeah. I went cinnamon, paprika, ooh, cloves, cayenne. Cayenne. I think that's. I I was really struggling at this point.
1: So you did. You got four. That's fine. Okay. Shall I read them out?
2: Wait. Oh, did I say coriander? Is coriander in there?
1: Oh, coriander. Okay. I'll give you. Yeah. Put coriander down. So star anise. Yeah. Cinnamon. You both got cinnamon. Tick. Fennel.
2: Ah.
1: Pepper and cloves.
2: Cloves. Did we both say cloves as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, no, John, you didn't say cloves. You yes, did. I said cloves. Did you? Oh, yeah, you did, yeah. So it can be pepper or Szechuan. I'll give you one point. So, John, you got three and Maisie got two. Uh, Yeah, I have to say, Maisie, in your accent, the word cloves is just
3: an absolute delight. Cloves? I would buy more cloves if they were advertised by you.
2: Okay. (laughs) Maybe that, you know, when people get very cool, trendy brand deals selling specific things, maybe just... (laughs) I'll get a sponsorship with cloves.
3: Yeah. You could work for the clove board. Big clove. Big clove. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, I mean, purchases are really going to spike around Christmas.
2: Yeah. Big time for the clove industry, Christmas.
3: It's a
1: seasonal industry, the clove industry. Yeah. You get a lot of cloves out the door during Christmas, I think. Hell of a lot of cloves. Question two was, which spice contains myristicin, a natural compound that has an hallucinogenic effect if ingested in large doses? John? A real stab in the dark. I'm going paprika. Paprika, Maisie?
2: Yeah, I had no idea either. I've gone cumin.
1: Cumin. It's actually nutmeg. Huh. Nutmeg. Apparently, you can get high as a kite off nutmeg.
2: Nutmeg?
1: Just take care out there. Yeah, take care out there, guys. And the last one, which spice is so expensive that an artificial version was created... Using castorium, which is the anal secretion of beavers. So, John, what are you saying for that? I've just gone for the most expensive spice I know, which is saffron. Saffron, Maisie.
2: I went for one that I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I don't even know what it is, but ca- cardamom.
1: Cardamom. It's one of my favourite spices, cardamom. It's a lovely spice. It's vanilla. Vanilla? Huh. Vanilla, yeah. And speaking of accents, it's great to say vanilla in a Brummy accent, I find. Vanilla?
2: Vanilla. Oh, yeah, that is nice. Yes,
1: uh, castoreum is a chemical compound that mostly comes from a beaver's castor sacs, which are located between the pelvis and base of the tail. uh, Because of its close proximity to the anal glands, castoreum is often a combination of castor gland secretions, anal gland secretions, and urine. And it does smell very pleasant, apparently, and is used as a vanilla substitute.
3: I can't help but imagine the board meeting at the vanilla company when they said, yeah, guys, we just need, we need something. It's too expensive. We're not selling enough. Can anyone think of anything that smells or tastes like vanilla? Yeah. And just like a sort of slightly sheepish guy in the corner going, um, (laughs) hi, uh, is going to sound really weird and don't ask me how I know. (laughs) How do you find that out? I don't know.
2: Just throwing this out there. Have we tried the badger bums?
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. How many different bums did they go through?
2: Oh dear.
3: And um, John you win that with your with your, your five spice.
2: Well done John. Well
3: it was various stabs in the dark but yeah thanks I'll take the acclaim all the same. Maisie we're going to head back to your choices in a sec but talk me through what your dream pub would look like and would it would it be of the black swan or would it be more like uh, other more uh metropolitan pubs you've experienced?
2: It'd be quite like white locks actually in the what 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 do we call like sort of wooden partitions in proper old like east end pubs what do you call them where it makes it makes it go into like booths almost do you know what i mean
3: well i think you've nailed it with wooden partitions especially if they've got that slightly like those stained glass slightly opaque frosted bits they're so nice
2: that's it we've got a few of those a few of those um so it's booth seating uh, with r- little round tables, but then those little stools with big puffy cushions—you know,
3: right? That you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to
2: pull round in an emergency when somebody you didn't invite turns up. Those sorts of places—you can't sit at the bar. Oh. You can't. You can't do it.
3: You gotta prop it up. You
2: can't sit at the bar. I hate it, especially in the run-up to Christmas. When you can't get, I went and met somebody in Soho the other night, a friend from school, and I was trying for ages to get served, but there were these johnnies just sat there at the bar for ages, and they don't move to sat. Just sit, sit down elsewhere. I know it's a very old-fashioned thing. People like to sit at the bar. I also don't think the people behind the bar particularly like people sat at the bar, because in my experience, when I used to work behind the bar in a pub. You're constantly looking for who's served next, please. And if I just keep looking up and seeing the same people's faces, but they've still got two thirds of a pint, that's frustrating.
3: Also, you're kind of trapped in a conversation that could last three hours that you don't want to have 100%. with someone
1: who's, whose views and vibe may be pretty un, un, distasteful. Why have Americans nailed the sitting at the bar thing?
2: I don't, this is it. This is it. We very recently were at an airport, me and my fiance, and it was when the England game was on in the most recent World Cup campaign, and it was a do you know a Jimmy Buffett's? No. They're like these American chains and they just sort of sell it's it's I think they're called Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville is the chain. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of Hawaiian shirts vibes and um a lot of margaritas, um, the food is just um, like they were called nacho towers. It was horrific, but we didn't want food. So we had to sit at the bar to be able to watch the football. And exactly as you said, John, we got sat next to somebody who we would never normally talk to, who every time it went on, Marcus Rashford This bloke came in with his opinions of he's been a much better player since he stopped trying to save the world and focused on his football. And I just think I wouldn't have ended up having to listen to that if I was able to sit down at my own table. But because I've got to sit at the bar whilst you eat your nacho tower, I've got to listen to this.
3: It's a tricky one because just to play devil's advocate, one of the things Will Hodgson, when he uh, visited the Moon Underwater, was very upset about was people coming into a pub at Christmas that they never visit during the year and kind of trying to boss it, and you're as a regular sat at the bar going, mate, I'm here three days a week, come rain, come shine, come snow, come heat wave, come everything... And you're just Johnny Johnny December pants, so you don't get to call the shots. His idea was a system whereby you had to have, I think, accrued a certain amount of stamps on a card yeah. throughout the year before you were allowed in in December, which I quite liked.
2: That's a good idea. That is a good idea. I think if you're a regular, then you can sit at the bar, as long as you're not weird to the staff. Hmm. But in general, I'm just not a fan of sitting at the bar, people who sit at the bar.
3: Yeah, I remember once in a pub near me seeing something which you might not read too much into, but I remember regretting not saying something. So there was this regular there who's just a bit of a kind of what you would have called a old, pervy, old, dirty old guy, right, in the past. And he's there every night and he has three or four pints and, you know... One might think he was perfectly harmless. However, this barmaid had started working there. You know, this guy's must be nearly 70 and she's probably 22. And he said, oh, I've not seen you before. And held out his hand as if to shake her hand. And she went to shake his hand. And then he leant forward and kissed her hand.
2: No, big fat no. And she was
3: like, she pulled her hand away. And I wish I'd gone, I wish I'd said like, I was quite surprised he'd done it, but I... I wish I said you sorry man you can't actually do that that's not really on but I could immediately hear his response of oh I'm just being nice I'm just being friendly you know and all that sort of jazz but it's she then has to work in front of him for 2 hours
2: yeah that's it it's not like he's um he's behaved like that and then scurried off into the corner where she yeah. can sort of ignore him he's there watching her pull every pint you know doing doing everything taking all the money I think also I have a slight connotation of sitting at the bar with that kind of character. So if I go into a rammed pub and the only place I can get a spot is at the bar I feel like a dirty pervy old man because it's just got that sort of connot- I just I'm not into it I'm not a fan at all. There's no um stools at the bar.
3: Yeah well this is this is your pub these are your rules and that's absolutely fine. It ticks a number of boxes for queuing, for not getting trapped with gross people, and for making sure the bar staff have a, a more pleasant experience throughout the evening. Uh, let's head back into your choices. You've got two spirit oh, spirit or liqueur. It's a broad church.
2: Great. I'm gonna start with what is sort of I think the flavour of my youth and I still love it, which is Jaegermeister. Traditionally, of course, absorbed within a Jaeger bomb. But I absolutely love it. I love that it tastes almost medicinal in its strength. I, I absolutely love it. I adore it. I think I spent most of my years from sort of 17 to 20, 21, just shotting Jägermeister or jäger bombs throughout the night. The way you can still like taste it the next morning, no matter how many times you've brushed your teeth.
1: The thing with the Jaeger bomb is when I was first introduced to them and you meant to down it, I just started sipping it because like, oh, this is nice. It is much nicer to sip. I used
3: to, I used to have it on ice with half a Red Bull and just pouring, pouring it in. It's just a really nice mixed cocktail.
2: It's ever so nice, isn't it? I really, really like it. When do you think the last time you had a Jägermeister was? Because I love it, but I would feel ordering it at twenty-eight now. People going, bloody, hell, grow up.
3: I mean, you're you're talking about twenty-eight like it's old to a couple of duffers who are not even in the next decade from you but the decade beyond
2: no but still 28 i think is too old to have a Jaeger bomb isn't it
1: i mean i think i first had one when i was about 35 what? <laughs> yeah i think it's peak bomb is 28 yeah i've never had one before i think that i first time i had i had one was when john you and i were doing a, a pub crawl in oxford oh yeah little pick me up little pick me up in the jude the obscure yeah and i thought oh that's nice
2: They're great.
1: Yeah, I haven't had one for quite a few years now.
3: I think I've probably had Jägermeister within the last year. I probably had a Jäger bomb pre-pandemic at a DJ set. The danger is they are very tasty, but you've got to be so careful with that amount of caffeine late at night, especially mixing it with alcohol. I think people have died from um having too many Jaeger bombs,
2: surely nobody's died from just too many Jaeger bombs,
3: totally, because if you think like t- if you have ten or ten like cans of Red Bull, it can really mess with your heart if you've got alcohol and you know maybe anything else in your system. people have definitely uh, had heart attacks from from that sort of thing
2: which is mad really when you think that Jaeger bombs certainly when I was growing up and going out for the first time, Jaeger bombs were always offered in multiple. I'm at like It was five for a tenner when I was growing up.
1: Yeah, it was quite, quite, I remember at uni as well, it was like vodka Red Bulls were a pound. And it's like, this is really irresponsible. The saving grace of the Jagermeister is you're probably getting a
3: third of a can per Jaeger bomb. Whereas like a vodka Red Bull, yeah, like if you get a pint of vodka Red Bull or whatever.
2: If they're one pound and you're getting a vodka Red Bull, that is a... That's a a one-way ticket to a seven-pound heart attack, isn't it?
3: It was 20 years ago. (laughs) Uh,
1: Was it? Yes. (laughs) No. Yeah, it was.
2: Um, So I think Jägermeister will always have a sort of nostalgic place in my heart. It's one of those drinks where, like, the flavour of it, I can immediately hear the music at the time. I can smell the nightclub that I was in. It's very lovely and nostalgic for me.
3: And with the nightclubs you were in, I mean, your look is so sort of specifically mod.
2: It wasn't then though.
3: Was it not? Is that a later development?
2: Oh yes, definitely. Around the time that I was shot in Jager bombs, I had very brightly dyed blonde hair. For quite long, a sweeping side fringe, a terrible fake tan. Yeah, it was not good.
3: When did you get into mod fashion and what sort of brought that on?
2: I don't know. I think it was, well, I I sort of started dressing a bit more mod around uni. There was like quite a, um, a cool group in the year above who were quite into their, like, Fred Perry's and Harrington jackets. I think, like, the whole This Is England vibe was having a bit of a resurgence amongst people wanting to, like, dress within that subculture. And... I kind of I, and then I started listening to a lot of two tone in my third year of uni I started getting quite into scar I read Pauline Black's book and it was like unreal it really made me like just sort of want to get get into it even more and then I kind of just I think the more the more you start shopping with a sort of view to dressing a particular way you find really what makes you feel dead confident and I think the cuts of those clothes it's particularly Fred Perry or a lot of like Modfather garments. They're kind of they're they're cut very very nicely, and I, I like the way they feel when you wear them. It feels, that I don't know. I just feel a bit more confident when I'm going round in it. It's it's very nice. and I quite. I've never been an overly like feminine girly girl. Well, I think there's a difference between girliness and femininity, but I think I've I've always quite liked dressing in a not androgynous way, but not a girly girl. Way, I think the only time I've dressed in a girly girl way was the Jager Bomb era, of a, really? of a fake tan, dyed blonde hair, bodycon dresses, clutch bag, heels.
3: I, I can't imagine you fake tan and clutch bag, but I like that the Jagerbomb takes you back to pre-Perry. Yeah, pre-Perry. Oh,
2: pre-Perry, pre-Perry. It was, and, and what a time it was. It was. I, I mean, I loved it. I wanted I wanted to say they were the best of times. They were the worst of times because I really. I was chatting to somebody about this the other day, actually. I was saying, like, I completely remember having all of the independence of being an adult, but none of the responsibility of it around that time. Mm, Amen. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're living at home. You had kind of no outgoings. I was working, like, three jobs at the time. So I was probably the richest I've ever been. So... It was, uh, it was lovely. And I, the only thing I spent my money on was going out and having Jager bombs. It was great. I loved it. I felt very, very like the world is my oyster back then. Do you know what I mean?
3: And then you get a bit older, you taste an oyster and realise it was absolutely disgusting. There you go. <laughs> oh, wow. A photo there of Maisie with straightened Blonde hair. You look lovely. You look like having a great time.
2: Oh, I was having a lovely time. But uh, yeah, very, very different. A very, very different time. I used to be one of those people that would like promote the nightclubs and get you in on a guest list, which is mortifying now because, you know, when you go on Facebook and it tells you what your status was 10 years ago, mine will always say things like, Text me for guest list tonight. Moco's going to be a bad one. It was very, <laughs> very, very embarrassing.
3: You're into that um, Time Hop thing, aren't you, Rob? What are some of your statuses from 10 years
1: ago? 10 years ago? Oh, I mean, I don't know why I do it. It's terrible. Do you know Time Hop, that app? I love it. But I, I, you know, you go on a streak where, it, you know, my, stre- my streak is six years long. Six? Wow. Yeah, I've checked Timehop every day for 6 years. It's so oh bleak. My. But but the thing is it starts to kind of eat itself because after a few years you start seeing status updates about how long you've been on Timehop and Oh stuff no, that's like not that. good. I really need to make some changes in my life.
2: I've just gone on mine and I have one status. It was 11 years ago and it was I'm in bar crawl recovery, which <laughs> Is absolutely an eighteen-year-old desperate for everybody to know that they drank alcohol (laughs) last night.
3: Well, what a what a tale we've been told just from the selection of Jägermeister. What would be your second uh, spirit or liqueur?
2: My second uh, spirit or liqueur would be now. It might sound boring, but I love a spiced rum. Mm. Spiced rum. I have learned fairly recently. So my fiance runs a cocktail bar and he was like when you when you're on a night out which cuz i always will just go beer beer or white wine but sometimes i'd wake up the next morning going how on earth did i get that drunk i didn't, i don't understand how like i thought i was i thought i was pacing myself and just sometimes you can misread it he then said he was like after about four or five pints on this is on a night out if you're really playing the long game after four or five pints move on to a spiced rum and coke and i've done that and honestly, I have the best nights ever now. It's such a lovely level of drunk. If you would have your first four or five as pints, whatever pints they are, then go on to Spiced Rum and Coke. It's just that sweetness that you're craving at that point in the night when you're getting a little bit... Like pudding. Yeah, it is. That's exactly it. It is like a pudding.
1: Do you not have to go for the Diet Coke because of the sugar I'd overload?
2: Prob- I probably should, but or a Coke Zero, I guess. But Spiced Rum and Coke, it's just lovely. So syrupy.
1: Were you of drinking age in, in the golden the golden age of uh, Sailor Jerry's when that first came on the scene? Because that was that was a game changer.
2: I don't think so, but I think that's my favourite rum is Sailor Jerry's.
1: Yeah, I bet that's got a few beavers beavers asses in it, hasn't it? With the vanilla.
3: Oh no! Stuff.
2: Don't tell me that.
1: Well, also, if you want to experience
3: the golden age of S- Sailor Jerry's, you've got to find a bottle of old J because they changed the recipe for some reason.
2: Seriously.
3: Yeah, and. There was such uproar because it suddenly tasted a bit weird. And I remember saying to a few, like, bar staff, I was like, are you sure this is Sailor Jerry's? And I don't know why they changed it, but they ruined it. But if you get a
1: bottle of Old J, that's the
2: original Sailor
1: Jerry's recipe. It did stop tasting as much of vanilla, didn't it?
2: I didn't know that. Oh, that's scandalous. That's like when they changed Iron Brew and everybody in Scotland was, like, devastated.
3: Yeah, I'd love to know why they made that change, but... uh, there you go. Uh, great choices, Jägermeister and Sailor Jerrys. But we must now head into the room. I he's tidied it up since he was in there earlier, covering himself with tomes and dust jackets and page ones, uh, because it's time to visit the pub library.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Thanks, John. Yes, welcome to this week's pub library. And... Once again, it's not a pub-related piece of writing, it's just a very nice poem, and I think that's fine. Uh, This is a poem called In Blackwater Woods by Mary Oliver, an American poet, and it's from her collection American Primitive. And she's got this very kind of simple, direct style, which some people kind of think is a bit sentimental, but I think she gets the balance right here. So uh, are you ready for a poem that has got absolutely nothing to do with pubs? Hell yeah. I think in this poem, she's talking about forest fires, or maybe she's just talking about autumn leaves. You know, it's hard to understand the metaphor. I think poets should make it clearer when they're using metaphors, don't you? Uh, No. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. Anyway, this is a a really lovely poem, and the reason I'm choosing it is because it's really lovely. Okay, In Blackwater Woods by Mary Oliver. Look. The trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfilment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires in the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go.
2: Bloody hell!
1: I got a bit wobbly at the end there. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. It's a really lovely home. I just really like it a lot. It sort of makes you think of like a funeral pyre. Yeah, I know what you mean. Absolutely nothing to do with pubs, but very, very beautiful poem.
3: Well, it's to do with loss and mortality, Robin. And what is a pub if not a mortal loss realm?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what people often say, isn't it? Yeah, people often say that about the <laughs> local pub.
2: It was lovely. I'm I'm glad I didn't have a mongozo beforehand.
1: Yeah. floods. Yeah, yeah. Been mongozoing mad. <laughs> yeah, floods of tears after the mongozo. Never take a mongozo to a poetry Never. Really.
2: That's another profound quote of yours, isn't it, John? <laughs> Never take a vongozo to a poetry reading.
1: Uh, so
3: that was In Blackwater Woods by Mary Oliver. Superb poem. Is that from a specific collection, Rob?
1: Yeah, well, I've got the collected poems, but it was in her, I think it's called American Primitive, which is, I think it's her first collection. But it's
3: very good stuff. It's lovely.
2: Really nice.
1: Lovely stuff.
3: Right, we've also got a jukebox here at uh, the other side of the bar so that as not to disturb the readers in their solace. And we ask everyone who visits The Moon Underwater to add an album to it. Uh, what would you most like to hear when you walk into your dream pub, Maisie?
2: I would like to hear Amy Winehouse, Frank, her debut album. Oh, the first one. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit more uh, jazz-focused, I guess. I've always, always really loved Amy Winehouse. But that album kind of, I think at the time as well, I was about 16, 17. And of course, I wasn't listening to jazz at all. And it kind of, it made it quite accessible. But also the the things she's singing about there were like everything that you're feeling at 16, 17. It's very high emotion. It's very dramatic. And I just think she's got one of the most incredible voices. It's so distinctive. I think I can actually remember the first time I heard her on the radio and I thought it was a man. It was so kind of one of those voices that immediately you kind of want to go, sorry, who's this, who's this, and find out everything there is to find out about her. And that album is is so brazenly honest and ballsy and kind of, it. it just channeled everything I thought I was feeling at the time, even if I probably wasn't. I really, really, I thought she was so cool. And I think she was quite into a pub culture as well, wasn't she? She was always in those, was it the the Hawley Arms, the the good mixer in Camden? I think having Frank playing in a pub would be very on brand for Amy.
1: I mean, it's such an interesting album because it, it was quite under the radar. She was quite under the radar till the rehab yeah. song really, wasn't it? And then it completely blew off mm. and everything. But yeah, it's a really interesting, yeah, much more kind of jazzy album. I mean I I tell you you've seen the film as well. Yeah. I mean it's so heartbreaking, but what comes across is she was so funny.
2: She's so funny. A really naughty sense of humour. Really cheeky. Yeah. And I think yeah. that like that comes across in some of these songs as well. Like it's so it's almost like a if if you could do diss tracks in jazz that's kind of what she somehow managed to achieve, like just absolutely slating these lads that had crossed her, but through the form of a jazz song, which of course, jazz is normally quite romantic and it's quite if it's not about a shared love, it's about an unrequited love in a very sort of um pining way. Whereas this was like sticking two fingers up but to a saxophone somehow. It was amazing. I think she's I think I think she's fantastic.
3: In such a very different way in terms of her voice. But I think she's got, a. I reckon she's got a similar thing to Freddie Mercury in that her teeth are quite big and wide. Yeah. And when you see photos of her singing full belt, the space she's got in her mouth is so much bigger than most singers. And he had a similar thing because he had extra teeth and never got them fixed. So it just creates such a wide palette. And what, sometimes when you look at photos of her, it almost looks like it's been photoshopped because the, the the size of her mouth is so huge. But what an incredible instrument!
2: Especially when you watch some of her like live performances, and she's kind of scatting and going quite kind of free with her songs. You, she's really, as you say, like it's it's there's a there's a really great clip of when she sang Body and Soul with Tony Bennett. You're right. She's she's. She's making her face do things that I could never be able to do with with my stupid average sized teeth.
3: Yeah, she looks almost like you know when like a, sn- a snake is just about to sort of dislocate
1: its jaw to eat a big big rabbit or something. I can't believe you managed to get this back to Queen John. I just <laughs> Well, I think they've got te- they've got teeth
3: similarities. Winehouse and, and and Mercury.
2: I think you're right. I think
3: they'd have they'd have got on.
2: Oh, like a house on fire. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, you'd want them both in your pub, wouldn't you?
3: Mozdef, Def, A uh, Great choice there. Amy Winehouse's debut album, Frank, for the pub jukebox. We come to your final choice now, and it's your wildcard choice.
2: I mean, I feel... Um, can I just say that I picked this as my wildcard before I knew about the badger bum connotations of vanilla? So I have picked the Italian brandy liqueur Tuaca. Ooh. Are you aware of Tuaca, lads? No. This is something, it's T-U-A-C-A. This is a brandy liqueur that I've only ever come across in Brighton. And there's a I should have remembered it for this, but there's a specific reason as to why you can kind of only get it in Brighton when it was brought over. It was just within the pubs uh, down here, so you struggle to find it any other place. But you go into any of your or most pubs here, and you can get shots shots of Tuaca, and it's lovely. It's like brandy, citrusy, but very vanilla'y, and secret spices. Mm. I don't know if they're in your, if they're in your uh, quiz, perhaps, Robin. I'm not sure.
1: Well, yeah. Secret spices. I mean, I'm sure they use real vanilla. They don't go for the beaver for this, do they?
2: I'm not sure. Oh, is it beaver? We're well, not badger. Beaver bum.
1: Yeah, beavers. Beaver bum, yeah. Beaver bum. It's claimed that it was created in the fifteenth century.
2: Oh really? <laughs> it says
1: it says it is popular in Brighton and Hove, UK. That's actually on the Wikipedia page.
2: <laughs> I really don't know like why it's got such a affiliation with Brighton. I think it was must have been just the first place that it was brought over to
3: i've definitely seen it but i've never tasted it and i i'm wondering if the sort of additives of a mass-produced drink is is where we're going to find the beavers but Feels quite likely.
2: I don't know why the affiliation with Brighton, but it's 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 very very nice, and it it is a little bit like a nice ice cream, and it goes very well with coffee. You can get espresso martinis that are made with Tuaca rather than uh, uh, vodka over here, which is very very nice rum. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's strong, mind. It's very strong.
3: It's 35%, so not far off full spirit strength. But I have to say, Maisie, I'm liking this selection. I'm liking this a lot. <laughs> I think we've got a good mix here. have got Cronenberg, Star Pramen, Mongozo, Banana Beer, Pickpool de Pine, Sailor Jerry's Jägermeister Tuaca. It feels like a night out as you progress through them, all in this pub where you can't sit at the bar and... Um,
2: it's got lovely wooden partitioned booths.
3: Ah, yes. And all in this pub where you can't sit at the bar. And why would you want to with these wooden partitions between the booths and the stools available for latecomers and Johnny Come Fly Nightlies? Speaking of Johnny Come Fly Be Nightlies, uh, we're going to leave you behind now as we head off to find out who Maisie Adams' dream pub companion is. This is a Patreon only exclusive. So if you want to come into this partitioned booth with Robin, I and Maisie, then head over to moonunderpod.com and sign up and get all the other treats, trinkets and tricks as well. But for those of you who can't or won't, which is absolutely fine too, uh, we'll see you back in a little sec. Hold up. There we go. What an incredible, and I, I've got to say it again here, folks, for the Johnny Come Fly BMs. It was my favourite uh, pub companion choice of all time here on the moon underwater from Maisie Adam. And if you want to hear it, get on the Patreon, get subscribing. Uh, but we've got two items of business left. First off, Maisie, what are you barring from your pub? You're barred.
2: I'm going to ban fruit machines. Uh, I just...
3: Amen. Preach, preach, preach. It's
2: just... I mean, aside from the whole, like, let's just bring in gambling into a pub, which I kind of have my own sort of moral... I I think it's fine to like have your patrons come in and and enjoy a a pint, but then luring them in with a, a fruit machine just feels so unnecessarily cruel to me. But also, that reason aside, just aesthetically... The amount of pubs, I went into one recently in Gosport and it was so beautiful. It had gorgeous like, exposed brick and old poems written on the wooden beams across. It was gorgeous. A real open fireplace. And then I turned the corner and there was a, a fruit machine there. No one was on it because nobody that sort of uh, had come to enjoy the atmosphere was also coming down for a fruit machine. So there was no reason for it to to be there. It had other things going for it. It would put me off going into a pub. I've, I've, I've sometimes spotted a pub from across a road and then as you got closer, spotted fruit machines and gone, nah, I'll keep looking. Well,
3: I mean, I've got a million reasons why I hate them, but I think it disengages you from the pub experience, whether you're playing it or not. They're so garish they're not and it's a weird quirk of british fruit machines they're not like that no. anywhere else on earth you know in america it's literally press a button and the reels come round whereas ours are made much more sort of involved and different light effects and noises and stuff and um i i think it's nuts it's nuts that they're in pubs but it also tells you all you really need to know about the gambling industry that they're sort of targeting people who are drunk and also you know in a very broad stroke, probably people who don't have a huge amount of money to chuck around the place. Yeah,
2: that's it. They just They There's a cruelness to it.
3: You don't find them in sort of restaurants or... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when they used to be... When when I was growing up, they would be in fish and chip shops. They'd be in like waiting areas in sort of train stations. And also you go... To, it struck me the other day, went, stopped off at a service station. You know, the one thing every service station has is a little gambling area. It's bizarre.
2: It's mad, but you're you're so right as well that like even if you're not the person at the fruit machine, it's so distracting because it's it's so much flashing lights and sounds that are made on it it's it's like you wouldn't put a I don't know a Nintendo Wii next to the fireplace, but it's sort of the same very it's very point. very distracting, yeah, so I'm banning fruit machines.
3: Fantastic. Can't wait to see that rolled out nationally. <laughs> but until that day, we have your pub to seek solace in. Hurry up, please. It's time. Finally, Maisie, we thank you so much for joining us. It's been such great fun to reflect on the pubs of of Brighton, of uh, Panel and of Leeds, but also creating your pub, which has Cronenberg 1664... Star Pramen, Mongozo Banana Beer, Pickapool de Pinay, Jägermeister Sailor Jerry's, Amy Winehouse on the Jukebox, and Tuaca, the favourite liqueur of Brighton. No fruit machines, but what are we going to call this incredible place?
2: This is the hardest question you guys ask. There's a lot of pressure on here, and I thought I'd go with. I like the pub names where it's something and something, coach and horses, dog and duck, whatever it is. And I was desperately trying to think of one and then I literally looked up above my laptop and I've got a um like a a, a big thing on my wall of my favourite headline that's ever been on a newspaper, which is The Filth and the Fury.
3: Oh, oh lovely. Nice. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think it sounds wicked, but it's used on the headline to describe when, I'm sure you know, when the sex pistols swore live on TV on Bill Grundy and it just descended into chaos and uh, it's um, I think it's from the Daily Mirror the next morning it was the filth and the fury and it was all about how this Johnny Rotten had told Bill Grundy that he was a dirty old sod it was I, I just think it's it's such <laughs> car crash TV you it's brilliant.
1: You, you fucking rotter. <laughs> yeah.
3: You fucking
2: rotter. But I also think the filth and the fury is a great name for a pub.
3: That's brilliant. Oh, such a great idea to name a pub after a news headline. My two favourites are when uh, Caledonian Thistle beat Celtic and the headline was Super Cali, go ballistic Celtic are atrocious.
2: Oh, spectacular work.
3: Perhaps too big for a pub, but the other one was when... Um, Kevin Peterson, the cricketer, got out for a duck whilst wearing a million-pound diamond earring and the headline was Dumb Slog Millionaire. Wow. That's good.
2: Wow. Oh, you'd take the day off, wouldn't you, after coming up with that?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, take the week off. I saw a great one in Edinburgh Let me see, when I was up uh, this year. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah, here we go. It was on the Sunday Sport. Bum-faced burglar stole my bathwater. <laughs> Not bad. <sighs>
2: Oh my god!
1: Bum face, the bum face burglar.
2: The bum face burglar's not quite got the same ring I'm going for with the filth and the fury, but.
3: <laughs> well, what a treat to create the filth and the fury here in the moon underwater. And Maisie, it's now yours to take with you wherever you need it the most as you venture back to the, the other realm and uh, leave us here in our pub that's folder calf.
2: Thank you, guys. I've really enjoyed it.
1: What <laughs> an ending.